Good morning, church. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning as we are celebrating our Lord and Savior, the birth of our Lord and Savior in this Advent season. Um, I love, we have couples coming up and reading. We have um, different people from different ages coming up to read the Word of God. So in the next two Sundays, we'll continue with that. Um, just to encourage your hearts, man, it's an amazing thing that Jesus was born. Amen. Thank God for his birth. And uh, as Christians, we celebrate that for sure. With that said, if you're a guest, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. If you are a member, know that we are praying for you guys. Uh, let us know how we can continue to pray for you during the season as well. The title of today's sermon is Christ is Born in Bethlehem. Christ is Born in Bethlehem. Charles Wesley once wrote, and this is what he said, Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose gl glories knew no end. By his life, he brings us gladness. Our, our redeemer, shepherd friend. Even reaches without number, born within a cattle stall. This, the everlasting wonder, Christ was born, the Lord of all. What an incredible little hymn that he wrote. And as we look at the story in the book of Matthew, Matthew's story concerning the birth of Jesus is quite different than Luke's, right? If you read Luke and you read Matthew, it's quite different. Matthew really focuses a lot on the father protecting the son. Matthew focuses even on the very beginning of it, right? The stories of Jesus when he was an infant. He shows us a lot of the Gentiles and their interaction with Jesus. Think, for example, he talks about the Magi's, who were Gentiles, who came, uh, how God protected, the Father protected the Son against Herod, and God, the Father is going to continue to protect the Son, So, which is an incredible story for us to observe. This morning, I want us to focus on three points. There are three characters within this narrative that I want us to focus on. One is the Magi. We want to focus on the Magi. They are mentioned in verses 1 through 2. 2 is Herod. I want us to learn more about Herod. And we see Herod is mentioned in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 2. And 3 is Jesus, the Christ himself, and his majesty. So the Magi, we see their journey. Herod, we see his jealousy. And Jesus, we see his majesty, right? So with that said, join me as I pray for us as we dive deeply into the word of God together. Holy Spirit, we are here and we are asking for you to do what you do best. That is to remind us of the words of Christ. We are thankful that there is another, another of the same type. The Spirit of God, the Trinity, who is a part of the Trinity who lives in us. We are thankful that Scripture says that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Therefore, we cry out, Abba, Father. So cry, Spirit. Cry. Make much of the Father within us so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, we need you. We pray that you convict our hearts. We pray that you lead us and you guide us. We pray that in this season that you give us joy abundant joy but teach us what we do not know make us what we are not and give us what we do not have 
We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And God's people said, amen, amen. So the first point here is we see the Magi's, right? The Magi's journey is mentioned here in verses 1 through 2. We're introduced to the Magi's, wise men as we know them as. But the word Magi is derived from the English word magic, right? And basically, they were magicians. But I do not want you to think of them like street magicians like David Blaine, right? Uh, when you would walk in New Orleans, wherever it is, and you see some street magicians with cards, do not think of the Magites as street magicians. They were astrologers. They studied the stars. That's what they did. The cosmos is what they studied. So here we're introduced to the Magites. But I do want to debunk a few things that we believe about the Magites. Maybe this morning you have a certain view about the Magites that are not biblically correct. So I want us, before, we can, before I can give you more information about them, I want us to debunk and disprove some misinformation. First, they were, one of the misinformation that we have is that they were three Magis, three wise men, right? Even in the Nativity, maybe we have watched the Nativity story, or we have a little replica of the Nativity at home, and, and there are three wise men, and we're saying because the Bible says three wise men. The Bible does not talk about three wise men. The Bible talks about three gifts given by the wise men to Christ. So we're not given the number of the wise men. They, they could have been 10, 40, 50. We don't know. We know there were three gifts, but we do not know there were three wise men. The tradition even goes on even further. During the Middle Ages, they believed that these three wise men were uh, a replica, or they represent the sons of Noah. And they even have names for them. Melchon, Balthasar, and Caspar. Not Caspar the ghost, but Caspar, right? But nevertheless, they believe that these men were spiritual men. And in the Middle Ages, they, they came up with these three names for these men. They actually believe that one of them was from Ethiopia, one was from India, and the other one was from Greek. Some believe that they were baptized by Thomas. I mean, it's, it's, the tradition goes on and on and on and on. And one bishop in the, 12th, in the, in the 20th century, oh, I'm sorry, the 12th century, believed that he has the, the skulls of these three men. Do you, do you get it? Why, why do you need the skulls of these three men, right? Why do you continue to have all those different traditions about these men? And here is the problem with a lot of us. Here's the problem with humanity. Don't, don't miss this. Coming closer. Why, why are there all those traditions? Because we like to worship people rather than worshiping God. This is the issue here. The, the issue here is to find ways to make much of people when these three men came worshiping Jesus. When we look at the story, we should make much of Jesus. These men, they came to make much of Jesus. But nevertheless, we want to make much of them. I was visiting uh, Mr. Manuel and Miss Daisy, and one of the things they had mentioned to me is in India, there are a group of people who are baptized by Thomas. And they would say, we are from Thomas. We are a group of people from Thomas. 
making much of themselves. And in the same way, I think it's easy for us to do that. And that was the problem here. What do we know about these men? These men, whether it was 40 or 50, they came bringing gifts to Jesus. What do we know? The one thing we know about them is their geographical setting. They're from the east. This is what the Bible says to us, which corrects one of our Christmas carols. When one of the Christmas carols says, they look up and, a, and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. Well, that Christmas carol is wrong. They, they, they didn't look and they look to the east. They're from the east. They look to the west. <laughs> How do we know this? Because Jerusalem is in the west. The Bible tells us they're, they're looking. They're from the east, right? They're from the east. Matthew 2 says to us that these wise men are from the east and that the star was shining in the west. What else do we know about these men? We know that they are from high ranking they're high ranking official they, they are very powerful and influential people the word magi also gives us an idea of a powerful person very powerful whether it's in, in their religion or whether it's in politics whatever it is that these men were powerful people wealthy people we could tell just by the gifts they gave jesus so do not think of them as a stargazing club of men looking at the stars and, and writing it down and, and giving themselves pats on the back. No, these men were very, very powerful people. We can even tell that because of what they did to, uh, to, to Herod. When they walk up to Herod, Herod himself gave them this kind of sense of honor, right? Gave them a sense of honor. Herod responds to them, show that he respected them. He believed and considered what they said to him. They were not powerful. I don't think Herod would have paid attention to them. They're powerful people. What else do we know about these men? Well, we know that they were following a star. This is what the text tells us in verse 2. Look in chapter 2, verse 2 of the book of Matthew. It mentions saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they, they saw a star. They're following this star. And some people believe that this was probably a supernova. A supernova is a star that is exploding. So they believe in the cosmos and the sky. There was this supernova which is about to explode. I, I, I don't believe this is a supernova. Nova. I think this is a supernatural thing happening here. I think it, it's the Shekinah glory of God. Have you ever seen a star pointing directly to the house of someone? No. This is a star they followed. They're, they're in the east, went to the west. The star appeared, the star disappeared, and all of a sudden the star appeared and it's shining directly on where Jesus is. No supernova star has ever done that. This is a supernatural star. This is the glory of God on display, leading these people from the east to the west to find Jesus and to worship Jesus. Jesus. What else do we know about these men? They came to worship him. Notice the boldness of these men. They knew 
geographically that Herod was king over that region. They went to Herod and said, King Herod, we are here to worship the king of the Jews. We want to worship him. They came worshiping Jesus. They traveled from the east to the west to worship Jesus. Now, it is of utmost importance for us to understand this star. The star mentioned here is part of a Jewish messianic expectation. I want you to see how scripture is fulfilled here. For example, I need you to observe in the book of Numbers, and there is this king, Balak, who is the king, and he called Balaam to, to go and to curse the people of God. God intercepted Balaam and told Balaam, you will not curse my people. And notice this, Balaam is from the east going to the west, geographically. He's from the east going to the west, and he's going to curse God's people. God said to him, you will not curse my people, but you will bless my people. So Balaam leaves the east, he goes to the west, and he blesses God's people. But notice one of Balaam's last oracle. Notice what Balaam mentioned in Numbers 24, verses 16 through 17. The oracle of him who hears the word of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, fallen down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, a star, a star shall shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. A star is what Balaam prophesied. This prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. And here we have the Magi's who are coming from the east and going to the west to bless God's people, to pronounce the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to bring good gifts to him. This is the fulfillment here, my friends. You see how scripture is so powerful. This is Jesus. This is the star. This is the scepter. A scepter is, is deserving to a king. And this king that we serve has the ultimate scepter. This is the king of kings and lord of lords. In Revelation twenty two sixteen, it calls Jesus the bright and morning star. That's our Jesus. But notice with me as well, not just the magites do we see here, but we also see Herod. But we see Herod's jealousy. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Now Matthew wants us to see the opposition here, right? The Magi's, the wise men, they're worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping the king. They bring gifts to Jesus. And here, Matthew also mentioned that Herod is a king, right? Herod the king. What do we know about Herod this king? It is important that you understand the historical facts about Herod. Herod was a very diabolical person. So diabolical. Herod actually excavated, built the third temple of the Israelites. And after he built the temple, he was very power hungry. He killed his wives 
and three sons because he was intimidated. He thought they wanted his power. They wanted his throne. So he killed them. This is how hungry this man is. Power hungry he was. Herod was so diabolical that right before he died, he realized that no one would weep and mourn for him. The Israelites will not do that. The Jews will not do that. So what he concocted was this great plan, diabolical plan that is. He decided to get all the important people in Jerusalem, have them arrested, and when he died, right when he died, he wanted them executed just so that there will be mourning in Jerusalem. This is how diabolical that man was. We see how diabolical he was because he will kill every child except Jesus Christ, two years, male son, male child, two years and below, right? He will have them killed. It shows you how diabolical Herod was. But friends, don't miss this. I want you to see this with me, which is very important. <clears throat> The text tells us that he was very disturbed. When he was given this great information about this king being born, he was very disturbed. The word disturbed basically means to be in turmoil or terrified. Absolutely terrified. Why? Because he doesn't want to give his throne away, right? He, he, he right here is a sense of struggling with jealousy. But not just here it. The text mentions to us that all of Israel was disturbed. Now, I have a problem with this. How can all of Israel be disturbed, terrified? For several reasons. One, what about Luke? Luke tells us that Simeon awaited, he was awaiting the birth of Christ. Anna, the prophetess, was awaiting the birth of Christ. So we know not all of Israel, not everyone was disturbed. They had some who were awaiting the birth of Christ. But what the text is alluding to us is that the people, many of the Jews, were disturbed. Instead of celebrating, they were disturbed concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not just, just regular Jews, right? We also know that the scribes and the people who gave the law of God, those who represented those who are worshiping God, were struggling tremendously. So don't miss this. Now, you know it's bad when the worship leaders and the preachers are disturbed by the arrival of the one that they are worshiping and preaching about. You know it's bad. And brothers and sisters, here is a very important fact for us. Are you disturbed that Jesus is coming back? <laughs> Are you disturbed? Well, well, Jesus, I don't want you to come back right now. You know, I, I haven't had my fun yet, right? But Jesus, you know, I want to get married. I, you know, like, well, what are you doing? Don't come back. Go back. You know, I want to get married. Jesus, what, what about that, that, that nice outfit I have on layaway? I just want to... Put it on first and make sure it looks good. And then you can come back. You know, it's silly, right? But we do things like this. Like we don't want Jesus to come back. We're disturbed. We're terrified. But friends, as Christians, we should be like the Moravians. It says, Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We have his word. 
we read his word, we study his word, and we should delight in a savior who comes back for us. We should not be disturbed. And here are the worship leaders, the ones who handle the word, the teachers, the preachers of the word are disturbed. You know, what's amazing is they even quoted scripture and they quoted Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They quoted Micah and they said, in Bethlehem, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Go in Bethlehem, you'll find him. They even know where to find Jesus. Yet they're disturbed by Jesus. The context of Micah is that the people were being governed by unspiritual people, unspiritual kings, unspiritual leaders. And in Micah chapter 5, it's, it's given this great prophecy of this king that will come from Bethlehem who will lead his people. He will be a good shepherd. He will be the shepherd king. And that's Jesus. So you have this prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 concerning Jesus. But don't miss this. Come in closer and write this down if you can. Jesus who is reigning as king is also ruling as shepherd. You get it. This is what Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us. He reigns as king. He rules as shepherd. And notice with me as well. Notice the majesty of the Messiah. So we see Herod's jealousy. We see that in the text. We see the Magi's journey. And notice with me the majesty of the Messiah himself. Verses 9 through 12 tells us about this great Savior. Notice with me in verse 9. Look in your own Bibles. Let's read verse 9. And listening to the king, they went their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What a great passage of scripture, right? This is not a supernova star. This is the Shekinah glory of God. I shared this with you before. The star now is shining upon this particular house or, or stall or whatever we, we want to call it. But nevertheless, this is where Jesus was. They walked up and they saw this woman with this baby. Now, I want to share this with you very carefully. Another problem with our nativity is that in the nativity story with the wise men, when they came and brought gifts to, to Jesus, that Jesus is like this little baby. But the, the word child in the Greek language here is a toddler. So Jesus was about one to two years old at this very moment. So here is a picture that Jesus is a child. This is what the text says. They walked up to Jesus and they began worshiping Jesus. They, they gave Jesus' mother, parents, adoptive father Joseph, gifts to Jesus, right? And what are the gifts? The gifts are very important as well. Every detail here is important. They brought, first, they gave Jesus gold, which emphasized Jesus' royalty. These Magi's, I don't know if they fully understood every aspect of what they were doing, but it was amazing to see what they gave to Jesus. They gave Jesus gold because gold was the medal of a king. Here they're saying he is the true king. So let me give Jesus gold. It represents the medal of the king. It represents Jesus's royalty. 
For example, when we see Solomon's wealth described in 1 Kings chapter 10, gold is mentioned no less than 10 times in seven verses. It is the medal of the king. What else do we find that they gave Jesus? Frankincense. It's amazing because it emphasized Jesus' deity. Frankincense was used as a sense of worshiping God. It was placed in the temple. They would like the frankincense as a sense of worship, as they would worship God. And here we have it that in this text, not only the gold represents the royalty of Jesus, the frankincense represents the deity of Jesus. And twice in the text that we are told that they are worshiping him. We worship God. They're saying that Jesus is God here just by the gifts they're giving him. But not only that, friends, I want you to see what else they gave him. They gave him myrrh. You see in your own Bibles. Myrrh represents the humanity of Jesus. Myrrh was used as you would embalm a person and you would put myrrh on that person's dead body. We have examples of that, examples of that, especially in the book of John as we see J Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus when they took the body of Jesus. They placed myrrh on his body. So myrrh here represents the humanity of Jesus. So the royalty of Jesus, right? Gold. The deity of Jesus, frankincense. And the humanity of Jesus, myrrh. You know what I love about this as well, when you think about myrrh, myrrh was presented to Jesus as king in the cradle, but also as king on the cross. Do you remember when he was on the cross that they offered him wine with myrrh, mixed with myrrh. And here we have it. We have this great king himself who represents everything for us. He is royal. He is king of kings and lord of lords because he is a god. He is the god. He is Christ himself, and he is fully human. But notice with me very carefully. I love what William Barclay said. He said this, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one that was to die. These were the gifts of the wise man and even at the cradle of Christ. They foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of man. This is why we make much of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why this season means a lot to a Christian. This is why we are thankful that Jesus came. We might, we might argue that Jesus was not born in December. I think we have a lot of facts to say he was not born in December. But nevertheless, we can say to ourselves as Christians, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in this season and in Every season, we are thankful that Jesus came to live this life for us, to die upon the cross for us, resurrected from the grave, ascended in heaven, and he's ruling on high. This is why we make much of our Lord Jesus Christ. 